0: And if maybe that extreme craft inspired you in some way, maybe it inspired our next speaker here in some way as well, because he has been inspired to bring his craft to the whole world and beyond. We have none other than Tony Baxter here, and he's gonna tell you all about the what mind it takes to come up with a Disney theme park. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Baxter. Wow, I've spent the whole day out there seeing a lot of amazing stuff, and hopefully we'll get the slides up and running here and we'll get going. One of the things I wanted to talk about at the beginning is you know, there was no greater maker than Walt Disney. Um, He, in his backyard, built a train ride that was a miniature railroad, and I actually have a picture of that to start things off today, because I think if this was going back in Walt's days, he'd be up here today checking this out because there's pretty cool stuff and uh so are you guys ready (laughs) do i need to go into event mode or wait black okay um i'm going to talk about three things today hopefully you'll get to see them too Um, i like to think about patterns that you see around really innovative things And uh, I'll show you some examples of where we've taken these patterns and created things you all know and love. I'm going to talk about valuable mental real estate, because there are a lot of things out there that are free, absolutely free, and if you're smart enough to find them, you can uh, own them, and they become very, very valuable. Think about the word pirates. How much did it mean five years ago? Now Disney has kind of uh, bought that word, and uh, it's our word now. And then finally, an overworked subject, story. I want to talk a little bit about that, but not the cliche of books and scripts and all that. I really want to talk today about all the other magic things, because the real stories that are made are the stories that you create when you interact with something that maybe we do or other people do. Okay, Not working? It is a Mac, so, you know, there is a problem getting Macs to communicate with normal stuff, so we'll see. I was going to start, ah, there it is, and now all I have to do is push a magic button, and there we go. So, this is in Walt Disney's backyard, this picture was taken about 55, 60 years ago. And if you look closely, you can see that Walt probably isn't as happy as he looks there because the train has gone off the track. Now this Lilybell engine there, Walt Disney built that himself. He had a shop in the backyard and much like a lot of what I've seen out in the rooms today, this guy would, you know, he could hardly wait for it to be Friday night and he'd go home and work on this train. And the only problem with it, everybody wanted to ride it. And they said, you know, Walt, you need to build it bigger so that we can get more people on it. Well, he did and this was the result Disneyland this is a round opening day now everyone's seen it in black and white but I have a few pictures here in color so this if you look at the clock it's about uh, noon and then the park would open in two hours after this picture was taken and what I wanted to explore with you as we look at these pictures from like over 55 years ago is what is it that worked about this thing was it all the assets that were there all the cool stuff Or was it the emotional connection with guests, you know? I gotta go back, you gotta see the fact that you could park right out in front of the entrance there, that's pretty cool. If any of you had to walk from Downtown Disney all the way in now, you know what I mean, wouldn't that be nice to put your car right there? This is the raising of the flag for the first time, that was Governor Goodwin Knight with uh, Wall. Now was it the great parades that were there on opening day that made the world come to Disneyland? I don't think so was that our characters, looks like little Dumbo there might have had a problem in the street, I'm not sure. And Pinocchio over here has got his head off. They didn't know what they were doing. It was a brand new thing. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. There weren't any rules. It's frightening when you're creating something that's brand new. And that's kind of the joy and the fear of it. You always are living on the edge when you're an innovator. And, uh, And could it have been those fantastic rides that were there that kept the people coming back for years and years? Now, I think really what cemented the love of people at Disney was uh, the emotional bond, the storytelling, and the richness that was there. And it's allowed us to continue this thing. Think how many other entertainment franchises are out there from 1955. Not very many. And we keep introducing more and more technology in it to keep it relevant to an ever-changing world. So I'm going to give you a very important formula for, I think, why this works for us. At Imagineering, we have two very distinct disciplines, imagination and engineering combined together. What that means is half our building is controlled insanity, literally. If you've gone through our exhibit, I think you've got an idea of the amazing stuff we do in kind of a really fun environment. The other side of it to make it work in a real environment where people come all day long, we have to have a disciplined evaluation of all that. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of how we do that. Here is the controlled insanity drawn by John Hench about 40 years ago that ultimately would become Space Mountain. Now, if you know anything about engineering, you could not put people up on rails like that with no supports, nothing like that, no products exist today that would... uh, operate with that kind of flimsy design but it was an insane idea here was his first sketch of space Mountain. now think of the word space Mountain. that doesn't make any sense even the world that word doesn't make any sense and that's the beauty of it because once you create a magic word like that we own that word and i was telling you a little bit about owning mental real estate by creating a crazy word like that that doesn't make any sense Disney now owns the value on that word. Now, on the other side, so that was the controlled insanity of it. This is the disciplined evaluation. This was 1970s high-tech ride design back when we were doing Space Mountain. So the results of those two colliding forces is this, something that all of you, I'm sure, have enjoyed many, many times. Let's do it again, going back to the uh, idea of this controlled insanity all right here is a crazy idea let's take people up 13 stories in the air and then drop them in an elevator controlled insanity right well here was the state of the art in the, uh, out there in the real world at that time so Disney was able to again combine, combine that you know discipline of going out and researching these things together with the crazy idea of putting people into an environment, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. And this is the results that came out of that, an amazing experience, especially the one in Florida, if you have a chance to go down there to see this. Yeah. OK. Now here's a world that already was you know, insanely great before we got to do anything with it. Like all of you. We waited in line on that midnight, you know, years and years ago to see Star Wars for the first time and it was insanely great and it wasn't our product and we thought how on earth could we get involved in that and years later the opportunity would uh, arise that we could literally tap into this amazing world that George Lucas had created but we needed to have something that would spawn his interest in it and this is what it was. We went over to England and again, with a disciplined evaluation of what was coming out of the military and the industry at that time, there were amazing devices that were uh, in simulation that were about to break loose uh, beyond the world of just training pilots. And we signed an exclusive deal and risked a lot to bring that into our fold and we were able then to get George very interested in it. And of course, the next thing that was born was Star Tours. And with Star Tours, a whole industry, not a Disney industry, but you've probably been on simulators everywhere. In fact, they've sort of run themselves into the ground. Um, but that, our point in that, that kind of a process is at the front end. We've always moved on to the next thing while everyone else is busy trying to keep up. And that's the fun of working at Imagineering. We don't dwell on repeating. Walt had a, a phrase he used back in the 30s. He said, after making that little short cartoon, The Three Little Pigs, Everybody said, you got to do another pig cartoon, Walt. And he said, you know, you don't follow pigs with pigs. And we've kind of held that at Imagineering. Once we have a hit like this, we move on. But this was really a revolution, because it allowed people to enter a world in an interactive way, in in a way where we all saw these things in the theaters and on DVDs. But to actually get on board with characters that you know and love, that's kind of the magic that we do at Disneyland. Okay, this guy was an innovative maverick. I'm going to show you a couple of these people, but it's really important that you, either as an individual, if you are a maker, or you work for a company that hires makers, you have got to have a maverick at the, at the lead. It's someone who's going to question the status quo and examine data without a predetermined outcome. Remember those two things. You know, So many people try to drum it into you, it won't work, here's all the reasons why, and as you're presenting your pitch, they already have determined they're not going to do it. If you have that, get out, because you're never going to get anything done. I think I have that, what I call, contrarian spirit, but this was a World's Fair show that Walt Disney brought back to Disneyland, part of it, and he put these dinosaurs on the train ride around Disneyland, and I was just a little kid, like many of you out in the, in the audience there. And I said, I don't like dinosaurs on a train ride. I think they belong in a jungle. So as I went through schooling, I did a rendering for my uh, watercolor class of where I thought those uh, dinosaurs should belong. And it worked really well for me because I showed it when I got a job scooping ice cream at Disneyland. And one thing led to the next and I was invited to do more. So I did an idea here before I had any art training Um, on Mary Poppins. It's not a great rendering, but what it showed to the people that I was applying with was I understood space and I understood the technology of the media of moving people through an experience. So these renderings, um, they told me to go back to school and get some training in art, but at the same time, they sparked their interest and moved me forward into getting in. My final year at school, I was supposed to design an opera because I had gone to architecture school, I didn't like it. I had gone on to landscape architecture, didn't like it. Ended up in theater. And ironically, what Disneyland does is uses theater as a, we create theater, we do it in a landscape environment, and we use architecture as the media to, to achieve that. So this is the senior project I did. Instead of an opera, I talked to the professor into letting me design a ride for Disneyland. And of course, Pirates was my favorite, so I patterned it after that, only it was a mythical voyage into kind of an enchanted world. And uh, as a result, I was hired, and I was put into dimensional design, which is a really cool word for being a model builder, but being a model builder is really, really fun. It's one of the best jobs we have. And so I was able to take all the training I had from theater and combine it now with my new job as a model builder. And this little model, which was about this big, I took it in and I said, well, what do you think about this? And long story short, uh, they said, do some more work on it. And uh, it became Big Thunder Mountain. What's unique about Big Thunder is we've built it now on uh, three continents of the world. So to my knowledge, it's the only mountain that exists in Europe, America, and in Asia. Which is kind of weird now, you know, when you go to Paris, this is 20 minutes from the city of Paris, and it's an excellent study in contrast. I think that's one of the most important things you can do, is when you bring something that's unique, try to understand what's the uh, background it's gonna be read against. And with the elegance and refinement of a city like Paris, there's no question why Big Thunder, a Western out of control homage to uh, the Monument Valley is the number one ride in that park. A lot of times what you do doesn't go anywhere. So we in a corporate world do the same. You know, what ifs, what ifs, and I'd say 80 or 90% of what we do doesn't get built. For me, I loved crystals and I wanted to do a pavilion for Epcot that was based on crystals and they wouldn't go for it. We even built a beautiful model of it, and uh, we had Dr. Carl Hodges from the University of Arizona working with us to figure out all the bio uh, necessities for it. And when the company decided we couldn't afford it, it was too outlandish, Carl said to me, I'm gonna build that because I really love this idea. And he did, not with Disney. He went back to the University of Arizona, and perhaps a lot of you have known this to come about as uh, Biosphere 2 down in, uh, I think it's near, Prescott, or somewhere in that area, Arizona. So never give up on your ideas. I didn't either. I kept those crystals in my mind. And I was given another assignment to try and visualize the world of imagination. So I pulled out my trump card, which was the crystals. And this time I won and we went ahead and built it. And so to this day, you can go down to Epcot and you'll see a building that looks very much like that. Another important thing is, uh, we see a lot of technology here today, but if you're going to try and make it with that in the real world, try to get personality into that because humans love to relate to personality and for me, these two characters, DreamFinder and Figment, were a lesson that I've learned and kept living my whole life. And that was what I mentioned to you early about trying to find mental real estate. That mental real estate for me was the word Figment. It seems easy to call that pink dragon figment. But believe me, it was a pink dragon, what are we gonna call it, for years, until I watched a Magnum P.I. episode. And Magnum had hidden a goat in the yard, and and Higgins the butler was all upset that the yard was all torn up and the plants were eaten. And Magnum says, oh, Higgins, it's just a figment of your imagination. And Higgins looks at him and says, figments don't eat grass. And I realized everyone in the United States knows that word, but nobody owns it. So I came in the next day, I said, I've got the word. We're going to attach it to that purple dragon. And forevermore, the value on that word will be changed. To give you an example of that, um, I'm going to do a little test here with this figment thing so you can get a feeling for it. Try googling the word figment and what you're going to find. Now that's a generic word. Disney doesn't own it. And yet every image that comes up on Google Images is a Disney image on the first page. So that shows you the power. It didn't cost one cent for that word, not one cent. Any of you can go out and do the same thing. But because it's emotionally strong with the audience, it makes the product that much more relevant. Okay, I don't have to tell you about this guy. Um, This guy lives in that edgy world that's frightening for most people. He abandoned comfort and the world of yesterday in terms of motion picture technology and embraced the problems that are the world of tomorrow. We were lucky enough to get to uh, be a part of that back when I was 12 years old, uh, working on Star Tours. Now Henry Ford said, if you go out and ask people what they want next, because you know, everybody does research, if we were to go out and ask the guests what ride they want, well, another pirate ride. And Henry said, uh, if you ask people what they want, they're going to say, a faster horse. People can only tell you what they already know. So those of you that make things, you've got to lead people to the next transformation. And that's, again, what we did with Star Tours. So where is the next guy that's going to do this? Well, I think this is a good example of someone who is out there frightening the world with his concepts. But if he is right and he can fly people into outer space, he's going to change history. So let's watch this man and let's all put our best wishes that he succeed in that because it's the the whole thing we all love. And I'm going to be on maybe not the first uh, rocket, but maybe two or three if he makes it work. That would be very cool. And I did want to talk about story. You hear a lot of that. Disney uses the word a lot. I think it's gotten to be a cliche. And that's not a bad thing, but let's not talk about scripts and storyboards and all of that. I want to talk about how lighting can tell a story. Think about the words, a dark and stormy night or a bright and sunny day. It tells you a lot about the story. Music. Does anyone remember Jaws when the girl was swimming in the water and you heard John Williams score the da-da, 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 da-da? That's the narrator of that piece of story. It was all done with music. Color, thrill, interactivity, these are all new terms because the real story, especially for us, is you, the audience, and your friends or your family interacting with one another and making a story. What happens out there in the ride is just to spawn that very important story that's happening with you. I'm gonna give you some rules for stories. The difference between a good story and a great one. People find themselves in the great one. Just think of the the books on Harry Potter. Every kid can't wait to get the next one because you just wish you were at Hogwarts. Everybody does, so that's what I mean about finding yourself in the story. Obviously at Disneyland, we can do that easier because you are in the story. Great storytellers make the complex simple. People come up to me and say, how do you do that? How do you take all this stuff? There are a thousand people at Imaginary. Each one of them has a special talent. When they all come together, it's a thousand people that created that thing that you can't figure out how it was done. Not one person. And that's why it's magical, because you're seeing an end result of so much effort. <clears throat> Great storytellers make the mysterious comprehensible. When we talked about reactivating the submarine rides, take people in A part of the world that comprises two-thirds the surface of the earth that nobody has access to, that's a chance to make the mysterious comprehensible. And great storytellers make ordinary things magical. We took water years ago and put it through a laminar flow and gave it a personality. Suddenly the same stuff that comes out of the tap was alive and made people smile. As a result, again, like uh, the simulators, these leapfrog laminar fountains are just about in every mall in America because they have such an effect on people. Great storytellers make the frightening safe. We once had a great imaginer there by the name of Eddie Sato. He made it a lot simpler than that for all of us by pointing three words. Fear minus death equals thrill. I think everybody that goes on a thrill ride, especially when they come to Disney, know that we're gonna get you as close to that word as possible and deliver a thrill without any risk. And that's what it's all about. And finally, great storytellers make the real larger than life. Isn't that what's fun about walking through these halls today? Physically, things larger than life, but amazing concepts taken out of obscurity and made Uh, understandable for all of us and fun. Uh Uh-oh, I don't know what I did, I think I killed it. Did I bump it and ruin it? No, okay. All right, finally then, where do these ideas come from that we uh, work with? One thing I have to say is when you're looking into the future, if it's frightening, if you're scared, or people say, get the willies when you show them something and say, well, let's think about it a little longer, whatever. That's really good, because that means you're way ahead. If people look at what you've done and they say, this is great, I'm really comfortable with it. It's too late. A good example is digital film. The Kodak company owned the world of chemical photography. They waited a little too long to go digital because they were so proud of their heritage. And now digital is a, you know, it's open to anybody. You've got to move when it's frightening, not wait until it's a comfort zone. So for me, We were sitting at a little one of these what we call brainstorming sessions and I was sitting there thinking, what if you took an Omnimax screen, put three rows of guests hanging above the Omnimax screen like so, and flew people up into some kind of a show in there. That was the room we were doing it in, everybody put their ideas up on the wall, just like what you see here. And guess what? That was the start of a thing called Soarin' Over California. In the end, one of our engineers still had an erector set in his garage. And he was able to take that crazy idea and build it out of an erector set, just like a Pinnick's exhibit here or something like that. And the next thing you know, we've got this major attraction now that's one of our most popular. Another good example is waiting for the right timing. We desperately wanted to bring that submarine ride back. And we had a film called Atlantis. And we did a poster about the big Leviathan catching you. The movie came out, and nobody went to see it. Then we opened another movie called Treasure Planet, and we thought, ah, we can have people go searching for buried treasure in the Atlantis treasure stores. And that movie came out, and nobody went to see it. And then a wonderful thing happened for us. Finding Nemo, Pixar's film, probably the most seen animated film of all time. And we knew we had the right formula to tell a story and bring something back that would work for all ages at Disneyland. For my generation that remembered the submarine and missed it, we get to ride our favorite ride again. For young kids that don't know about that but love this character, we had, again, an emotional bond with a mechanical thing. And it allows our guests to go into a world that, again, like I mentioned earlier, is two thirds of our planet that nobody really has access to. And Disney can take you in there in a world that we've really created in a very magical way. Now finally, another great cliché word, and I just don't know a better one, so I'm going to end with this one, and that is, wow, and I hate using it, but then George Lucas said something once and it's another thing you should remember, he said, never be afraid of a cliché. They're clichés because they work, and so I am going to use it. People expect when they come to see us that they're going to find the unexpected, if that makes sense. They don't pay good money to come and see what they expect. They come to see things that they don't know about. And that can be really elaborate things or very simple things. So it can be finding a dragon buried beneath the castle in Paris that comes alive and snorts fire and smoke at the guests as they walk through that area. You didn't expect that. But when people go home and they tick off what was their favorite thing, the dragon comes way to the top. Also in Paris, we could have done regular Space Mountain, but in a country where there's Jules Verne and HG Wells and Leonardo da Vinci, we put a really unique spin on it. And you're literally fired out of a cannon, I guess they told me. Yes, fired out of a cannon up to the top, which is about this much higher than the one at Disneyland. That allowed us to put three loops in there. We weren't satisfied. We went forward and put onboard sound, the first musical roller coaster ever. So fired out of a cannon, onboard sound, all of this themed to Jules Verne, so it fit in the culture we were presenting it in. And this is so stunning that it really turned our attendance around in that park. So it was a a, a, shot, a real shot in the arm for our Paris park. And as I mentioned, bringing Monument Valley or the Grand Canyon 20 minutes outside of uh, Paris, literally in the morning we have to uh, scat the swans off the lake there, because they're used to willow rivers that are just about 500 feet beyond this. Uh, And keeping the land there dry is as hard as it is here in California, keeping it wet. Uh, But the effect on our guests is stunning. It can be very simple things, like just adding holiday lights to Main Street at Disneyland just warms the place up to the point where it is absolutely amazing to our guests and simple, and there isn't a more beautiful place emotionally than Disneyland Christmas at Main Street. And finally, I'll stop again with that last shot of taking a humble thing like water and bringing it to life. Nothing speaks more about the whole idea of making things And thinking about it, because it's not just making it and sitting there and analyzing, hey, that's cool. Give it personality, and it'll mean something for everyone. And I'll end here with, as you dream, just remember, these dreams that you create here, all these amazing things, are really the fuel that's going to drive the future. Thank you very much. We uh, two minutes for a question, I guess. Two questions. Anyone? One, okay. Yeah. How do we go about searching for new technologies? Why are my eyes open today? Um, you know, our people go to all of the emerging technologies things from CES to there's a fair on uh, you know, imaging next month in Las Vegas. And it's just a matter of finding weird things. Like I was riding through a car wash where you put your car in park and then the room rolls around you. The next time you go on Indiana Jones and the Rolling Ball again, that is a play on the ride through car wash. So you never know where you're going to find these things. One more and that'll be over here, behind the, the, tele, or the projector. I'm sorry, at uh, the uh, I was wondering why they changed the story for the Tower of Terror. Ah, why did we change the story for Tower of Terror? I gave you a little bit of hint here how we changed things based on the culture. The mountain for, uh, with Jules Verne and HG Wells. Same is true over there. The Twilight Zone in Tokyo doesn't mean a thing. The Rod Sterling films and the dee, 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 dee they don't know anything about it. So they created a whole mythology that was more understandable in that. Another good example is Tom Sawyer Island here in California. When we went to Europe we created Treasure Island with pirates and gold and all that because they don't they really are into Mark Twain. Okay, I think I've just about run out the clock, so thank you very much. Enjoy this, I guess there's gonna be all kinds of fireworks tonight.